Hello, everyone, and welcome to the In Squash Podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Gibson, and today we've got a great uh, podcast for you. Former um, two-time World Open champion, former world number one. He's just recently retired um, after winning his ninth uh, medal at the Commonwealth Games, a gold uh, medal in the doubles. Uh, David Palmer is on the podcast today, and I couldn't have been uh, happier uh, to have him on. Um, just shortly after he retired, I reached out to him and we made this happen. It was fantastic. David, as you know, um, one of the greats of his generation, some, uh, some famous matches with um, Jonathan Power, Peter Nickel, uh, Thierry Linku, all of those guys. Whenever David stepped onto the court, you know you were in for, for a great uh, match. And uh, he never disappointed, and he didn't disappoint uh, on the podcast today. We talked about his career, his uh, the influences that he's had over his career with uh, Joe Shaw and Sean Moxham, of course, his friendship with uh, John White, uh, and uh, his current coaching duties at uh, Cornell with the Big Red and, and uh, how things are shaping up there. And, of course, uh, would have been uh, remiss not to uh, ask him about his uh, his great matches against uh, those, those famous ones that we all watch on YouTube over again, the, uh, the matches against Jonathan where uh, things got a bit, uh, uh, we'll just say, very exciting there on court. And that's exactly how he uh, portrayed it. Um, anyways, I know you're going to enjoy this podcast. It was fantastic. Uh, it's David Palmer on today's podcast. All right. Uh, well, today on the In Squash podcast, uh, we're very, very happy to have on with us uh, one of the greats of the, the, the last generation of players with Lin Koo Power. Uh, White, Nickel. Uh, we have uh, the two-time World Open champion, two-time world number one, winner of all the major titles, including four British Opens, Super Series final, uh, nine-time medalist at the Commonwealth Games, including three golds, and currently uh, the head coach of Cornell's Big Red men's and women's squash teams, David Palmer, uh, recently officially 100% retired from pro squash, is our guest today. David, Thank you so much for coming on. No, no, it's uh, my pleasure. So I've been looking forward to it. So yeah, hopefully it'll be a good chat. Oh yeah, I hope. Yeah, I know it will. I know it will. Well, first of all, uh, let me just start by saying uh, congratulations on what was an absolutely incredible uh, career on the pro tour. I know you. I mean, I watched so many of your matches over the years, and they were always uh, fantastic. And it culminated. Uh, I guessed uh, recently with a gold medal in uh, the Commonwealth Games with your doubles partner, uh, Zach Alexander. Uh, what a way to leave the competitive game. Yeah, it, uh, it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't totally planned like that, obviously, especially this, the, the last few weeks on the Gold Coast. But uh, yeah, I couldn't have asked for a better send-off in some ways. Obviously, I had a very nice... I remember when I retired from the game um, at the World Open in Rotterdam, um, obviously from the single side, obviously I had a really great send-off. Tommy Burden did a really great job for me and very kind to, to make a big fuss at my when I lost in the quarterfinals of the Worlds there and, and that was a big moment. And um, obviously, yeah, I've been coming back to play some of the doubles in the Commonwealth Games and, uh, yeah, to play, to win the gold in, in, in front of my home crowd and... and the Australian crowd and uh, my parents and, and my wife, my two daughters, uh, and it was really a perfect send-off, so I couldn't have asked for uh, anything better. 
Yeah. Well, I, I think you said uh, you said it was like a dream come true to finish uh, like this. Is that basically what you meant to have your family there and to do it uh, on home soil? Yeah, there was there was some obviously different reasons to come back again. Obviously, I sort of I did say after Glasgow, after winning the gold there, uh, I thought that was probably it. But then after a year or so, and, and realizing it was on in the in Australia, the next Commonwealth Games, and on the Gold Coast, uh, it, again it started to creep into my mind. Um, I, I tell people all the time. Obviously, I wouldn't want to go back on tour, but I, I definitely missed the competitive side of it and. Now that I'm coaching a lot um, in a lot of different levels, I, I really love the coaching, but it's, uh, it's still frustrating a lot of times sitting on the side. Um, and, and I do miss those competitive days where, where I'm on the court and, and it's all, all in my hands. And um, to have that chance again to play also with my, with my family, they, they've hardly really seen me play too much in person just because of the lack of tournaments in Australia during my career. Um, and then for my, for my wife and my two daughters, uh, Kayla and Miley, to see me, uh, obviously, they've obviously been a big part of squash and, and traveling around the world with me, but they were pretty young. Um, and yeah. this time they've grown up and, and to get them to see me play was a, was a nice feeling as well. How old are your, your two daughters, uh, David? Yeah, Kay- Kayla's 11 and, and Miley's 8. So right, right. Um, obviously Old enough the- now to see uh, you know, what it's all about and appreciate uh, uh, what type of squash player, uh, I mean, close to what you were back in the day. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's just nice to see them. Um, obviously, again, they again obviously squash is our life, and, and they get dragged around, and I'm sure they get sick of all the squash things we have in our life in some ways. But um, it was fun to see them uh, be part of it, and and again, I wish we were back in Australia more often. And um, anytime we're back in Australia, and my daughters can be influenced by by our family and friends. Uh, it, it's 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 a great feeling. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, uh, you're, you turned pro, I think, around 1996, if I'm not mistaken. And I guess those, uh, those early years, uh, and I was speaking to John White a few weeks ago about his, uh, his early years on the pro tour, uh, they weren't quite as easy as, they, as once you got going, uh, once things started rolling for you. What were those early years uh, like uh, back before you hit the, the, the big time? Yeah, I don't think it's any. I don't think it's easy for anyone, really. Um, it seems recently, again, all these again, obviously, Egypt's dominating world squash at the moment and has done for the last ten years, and they have some way of producing top juniors that seem to come quickly out of juniors and and really go fast up the rankings. And it seems like the rest of us, it takes time. And I always say it's a little bit like an apprenticeship of learning and mm. getting used to traveling and. Uh, um, for me, I made the decision when I was 17, almost 18, I went to, I passed up a chance to play World Juniors and I went over to Brazil with Joe Shaw and, and I played, um, I think I played about eight to 10 events all the way through South America. I trained in Rio for two months uh, with the national team um, and it was a big eye-opener for me, um, being there by myself in, in Rio and then... That was a good tour back in those days. Um, and John played in it as well um, multiple times. Um, there was like 10 or 12, dollars to $15,000 tournaments back to back. So you could do really like a like a 10-week tour almost where you just bounce from one city to the next city. And um, it was a lot of fun. And 
um, that really helped me jumpstart my career. I was I started off obviously I joined um, I was bottom of the list 300 or something in the world and and I did reasonably well on that first tour and and I came back after the 10 tournaments and I jumped up to like about 85 I think in the rankings and that was a big stepping stone for me not only for the ranking but improving my level and um, I came back and I won the Australian Junior under 19 and then obviously that sort of kick-started my career Um, so yeah it was a big experience for me at the time and um, it even scares me a little bit today thinking about it. Maybe I'm, I'm getting old now, but how I made that choice to, to leave home at, at 17 and, and, and yeah, do that. Um, absolutely. As a, as a parent, I mean, I'm a parent of two girls as well. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I mean, you, you think of sending them off to Brazil at, uh, at 18. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that was with no internet, no, uh, yeah. no phones. Uh, that was yeah. in the day where I called home like every couple of weeks and, and, or I, I sent a fax here and there. Um, it wasn't as easy as obviously today's, uh, life is. So yeah, it was a big thing, but I, I still think about it that that was a turning moment and, and possibly if I didn't do that, um, I wouldn't, wouldn't have done all the things I've done in my career. So I, I still think that was the right Joe, Again, he was a smart man and, and I trusted him and, and it was hard to do it, but he had that belief that was the best thing for me and, and he was uh, he was a thousand percent right. For for a lot of people, I mean, I've heard of Joe uh, Shaw over the years and you, you've talked mm-hmm. a lot about him uh, over the, the years during your career and how uh, important he's been. Uh, but for maybe some of the younger people who might be listening or others who might not know about Joe, uh, who, who is he uh, in terms of... Uh, what he meant to your career and uh, why was he such an influential part uh, to your, uh, your squash career? Yeah, Joe, Joe's originally from Brisbane um, in Australia. Um, unfortunately, he, he passed away a couple of years ago uh, in his late seventies. Um, yeah, he, I first met him when I was 16 and I went up, my dad took me up, up to his training base uh, in Brisbane and, and, yeah, he had a big personality. Um, people either, I think, either loved him or hated him. Um, it was one of those type of relationships. He was outspoken, um, but he was very confident in his abilities. Uh, he wasn't a he wasn't a technical type of coach, so he wasn't a coach really that was on court feeding. But he was very very good on the fitness side and very good on the mental side and planning and. Um, he knew if he couldn't do something, he'd, he'd take his student or, or take me or whoever else uh, where they needed to go or to work with the right person. Um, so yeah, he was a he was a sort of yeah he was a squash coach, but not again people misconceive sometimes he wasn't a technical coach. Um, he wasn't really on court feeding, but he was fantastic at at getting people very fit. And back in those days, um, and again, he spent a lot of time over in the over in England. Um, I know he was, he was, he was, he went to Pakistan. He studied Jahangir and Janshir and uh, he worked with a lot of English players over the time. Um, And uh, so, yeah, he, um, he was really a very, yeah, outspoken person, but um, he really, uh, and he wasn't, again, obviously that's maybe again, he, he was, not everyone's favorite. And I think that obviously that type of personality and, and being so outspoken, that's also rubs people the wrong way sometimes, but um, his heart was in the right place. Yeah. Um, his mental stuff was, was years and years in advance um, of anyone else. And uh, yeah, it really did set me up um, to become the type of player that I, that I needed to be. And, and 
he, I, I work with him all the way through, but um, he, he was the one that got me to like probably 40, 30, 40 in the world. And, um, and that's obviously, that's when I started to work with Sean and, and combination of the both of them is what took me up to, to be number one eventually. Yeah. I mean, when I think of your game, I mean, you, you had pretty much the entire package while, uh, by, by the time you'd reached the, the top 10, but the part of your game where you mentioned it's the mental side of it and the, the physical mm-hmm. uh, side of it, obviously, uh, with Joe, that, that, that was, uh, instrumental towards you, uh, reaching number one in the world. Yeah, definitely. It's, uh, again, it, he got me into this mode and again, they go hand to hand, obviously the fitness training that's required at squash uh, and the mental side, I think they really work very closely together. And um, it was a big part of my game. Obviously Sean was more of a technical type of coach for me. Also, also the fitness and the mental, but um, Sean was one that obviously improved my attacking game, improved my, my volleying and, and, and the way I played and the style I played. Um, and so, yeah, I did have a very good, combination and but yeah joe's mental side um even today even being back for the commonwealth games he was in my thoughts a lot just because it was close to where he used to live and um so yeah he, he was in my thoughts a lot during that that two weeks i was back there and um he would have loved to have been there and, and and seen that so i think he was a bit of a motivation for me as well um to, to try to do well there. But, uh, but yeah, he was a big part of my life and, and my family's. My dad dad was very good friends with him. My dad spoke with him almost like three, four times a week. Um, wow. So he was close to my family as well. So, um, yeah, he, I, I do miss him a lot. So Well, uh, and then obviously uh, Sean Moxham, as you mentioned just a few seconds ago, uh, came into uh, the picture. And uh, he was actually on my podcast a few weeks ago. We talked a lot about you and your relationship together, the the good years, the great years that you had. Uh, Mm -hmm. One thing that we talked about uh, was the... That uh, incredible 18-month period where you shot up the, the rankings from, uh, as you just said, 40 uh, to mm-hmm. number one in 18 months. Uh, during that time, was it something that sort of clicked or something that you did? Or did it all just come together? And uh, uh, what, what, what sort of approach in your game did you take at that time to, to get you through that 18-month period to number one? Yeah, it was. Uh, I, I think the biggest thing with Sean was that we were we really ended up being very good friends and if maybe best friends. And obviously, we're still in contact a lot today, and and we're back close, living fairly close together now. And obviously, he's in his new training facility, and um, um, so we're obviously, we've always been very good friends. And um, it's. Uh, I think that was a big part of it that. Um, that is not always the case sometimes with obviously coaches and students. And um, for us, we did be, form a very quick friendship. Um, I think obviously both being in, in Europe and, and obviously two Aussies, uh, it's, it's easy for us to yeah, become friends, but to, to stay friends all these years uh, is a big important part for me. And um, I think the best, obviously the biggest thing was he, obviously I had, because of Joe's work, I had a very good base Um and uh, the fitness was there, the mental side was there, the consistency was there, but probably the lacking was my attacking game. Um, Mm -hmm. And Sean was a very good player. Um, Obviously, he was, again, I think he uh, could have reached much higher as well. He he did have periods where he got to, like, top 20, but... uh, He he said he finished third in the World Juniors. Third third in the World Juniors. 
sort of had two two stints on the pro tour and and very talented um so he had a lot of again very good coach as well obviously that's a big part of as well obviously uh, not not all the top players are, are great coaches and he was um so he really worked on my attacking game um again higher t position volleying the ball more confidence with my short game um, and then also his strength was also studying my opponents um, and, and coming up with game plans and, and tactical side to really um, be ready to to face uh, to face anything. And um, again, I think my strength was that I, I could find a way to win on a bad day. Um, and I yeah. think that's a big part of what I see now in my coaching, uh, working with a lot of pro players as well, um, is that plan B or plan C uh, on a bad day. And and I had that determination that if I wasn't hitting the ball or it wasn't my day as far as my shots, uh, I had that determination to just wear my opponents down. And that's probably where I dropped back into my Joe mold where he always, he always hounded it into me that if I don't make mistakes and I get all the balls back, uh, I'll, I'll eventually be able to win every match. And um, I think, but again, between the two of them, uh, again, um, Obviously, hopefully, yeah, more days where I could control the game and, and, and win because of my shots. And then days where I was just stubborn that if my shots weren't working, then I could rely on my physical side to get myself out of trouble and um, and keep myself in the tournament. So um, so I think in the 18 months, Sean really sharpened up my game, my technique a little bit um, and, and got me confident. Um, also learning to play more on the glass court. Obviously, as you make that break up from 40 up to like top 20, top 10, um, we'd spent a lot of time. Um, we had access to a glass court in at his base in Antwerp. Um, so we spent a lot of time on the glass court, um, getting my confidence uh, and, and, again, tactically learning how to play on the glass court as well. So I think that was probably the big part that, that made it possible for me to jump so fast up the rankings. Yeah, one thing I noticed, uh, I mean, I've watched a, a lot of your matches over your career, and there was, seemed to be a point where, like you said, just a second ago, uh, where you you started volleying a lot more, a lot more effectively with a lot more confidence, and it became such a, a crucial part to uh, your your winning game. Uh, oh. And it just seemed like you had you, when you were volleying, your you had your racket up. You always had your racket up uh, compared a lot to a lot of other players. Uh, was that something that that you developed uh, with Sean over that period? Yeah, yeah. Again, just trying to keep the basics as, as easy as possible, and and I, I even to this day I'm a big believer in, in in racket up. Obviously, the not not that all top players have their rackets up, but again, when you're coaching, you can't compare yourself to what Ramy does or Shabagi or or what Jonathan used to do. So, um, again, I think Sean and myself have very very firm beliefs that again the basics have to be right so the speed of the game is just obviously back then it was fast and now it seems to be getting faster and faster and um again i find my accuracy and my consistency with my volleys was again um having that confidence having that high t position and having my racket ready to react to whatever whatever was coming so yeah well, you mentioned earlier uh, your dedication to, to putting the time and the effort into your training. Uh, that's well storied, and, and I guess it, it really started with uh, what the work you did with Joe. Uh, but uh, Sean, I'd asked him this question, and I'd like to ask you as well. Uh, your beep test training, uh, uh, the legend of the beep test, um, how, how many were you able to do? Uh, was it a regular part of your um, fitness training uh, at the time? 
For, for a number of years it was. Uh, obviously, I'd done a beat test before. Obviously, back in, my, in the days, I, I spent 18 months uh, in Brisbane at the RAS. And obviously, the beat test was designed to sort of do it every now and then to sort of test your fitness out. Um, so we started to get back into it again. And, and yeah, all of a sudden, Sean come up with this idea that we'll just do, instead of just doing one, we'll do back-to-back and then eventually try to do five back to back in a row, um, which sounded crazy at the time insane. Um, uh, in some <laughs> ways. But uh, again, it was it was designed about obviously winning a five game match. It's about pushing for five games in a row, and um, it's easy to push one off type of beat test. But to have the endurance and the strength and the mental confidence to back up. Um, so we started off and, and yeah, we, yeah, we did it a lot. Um, and we set it up. Um, Sean was obviously, again, always had people to run with me as well. So I'd always have a, a fresh person or a couple of young, young kids running every time with me to challenge me. And, um, it was that design to try to push myself. And, um, again, I, I'm not claiming, I'm not claiming, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'm not, uh, I'm not claiming by any means that I think I had the record for the highest getting the highest, but I think obviously to be able to do back-to-back, um, the goal was to get over over 16 and a half on the first one and then on the fifth one, I think we were trying to get over like 13. So okay. <laughs> I've known lots of other guys that have got higher than 16 and um, but I think you definitely, the, the way that I could do it to back up uh, five in a row was something that really put me in, in a very good physical condition that I could deal with whatever, whatever came at me. Um, Absolutely. And I guess uh, what Sean was saying was that uh, you weren't just walking uh, as well. Sorry, sorry, what was that? What Sean was saying, during the, the first few beeps on the beep test, you weren't walking uh, those ones. No, it's uh, I, it's, I it's, a, uh <laughs> it's a tough. Uh, again, when you break it down, it sounds easy now, obviously. And, and again, at the time, it was obviously uh, it was a, such a mental battle. But um, obviously, yeah, the first four or five levels are very obviously very easy and light. And then I think depending, obviously, you're gonna have get to level 10, it's a pretty good effort. And then anything after 10 is a push. So that's what I say to my players now, that if you get to level 10, then you've got three or four or five minutes. It's one one minute per level, pretty much. So you've got four or five minutes of really hard work to push through, um, not thinking, well, I've got 15 or 16 minutes of hard work because obviously, yeah, the first the first levels. But after running till you can't walk anymore, uh, sorry, running till you're sort of completely exhausted, having two or three minutes break and then starting again. It's a hard, but that's obviously what we thought squash was, was that having that hard first game coming off, sitting down in between games for that 90 minute, ninety seconds, two minutes, and then having to get up and go back on again. Um, it definitely was something that got my, got my mind and my body ready to deal with uh, trying to win tournaments. Uh, and again, as everyone knows, winning tournaments is not just one match. It's like five matches in five days, typically, maybe a day off here and there, but um, you've got to, it's, so we sort of based my training around that. And um, I still do it today with my players. I still try to push guys to do the big test when I feel they need it. Um, I think it is a great, uh, it's a great, great, training and great mental training exercise yeah i, I agree and uh i guess uh, another thing too is that uh, 
like in a match, you've had your two minute break. You're the first uh, four or five points of that match might you might not feel the the pain, but then it starts to creep in, much like the the beep test. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So again, it definitely and again definitely held me in good stand uh, all the years, and obviously probably the end of my career, the last maybe year or so, I wasn't doing as much, but because of all the work I've done on all the years, I could still carry that that strength through and. Um, and, and win a lot of matches in my last year, not necessarily because I was I was the fittest guy, but I, I had the belief that I could sort of outlast anyone. So, yeah. well, well, that was the thing. I, I mean, obviously you you look tired, but you you never really you looked like you could keep going all the time. Now, one thing um, uh, I I would not to belabor the fitness thing or, or, or that part mm-hmm. of your game, but one thing I um, I read was that uh, you you said the better you um, the better you perform, the harder you made. The better you perform in your training, the harder you make it on yourself, which is some uh, like a training philosophy. So if you uh, mm-hmm. if you perform well, then you're you're making it more difficult on yourself. What exactly uh, uh, could you could you explain that philosophy to uh, to us a little bit? I, I think um, again, it's I think the results are all all base on and again I try to pass this on to my players and my team it's not if you don't do the work again in the training then the results won't come so um, and again I think a lot of a lot of damage is done with players trying to so it's like trying to uh, um, cram for an exam the night before and um, you can't do that with squash so if if the training is not done in the weeks and the months beforehand um, training for a couple of days before a tournament is actually more harmful than, than good actually so yeah. I think my theory there was that I knew if I could just push myself hard every day in training um, regardless of what we were doing whether it was was fitness or court sprints or beat tests uh, um, or, or just a technical session, as long as I gave that focus and, and pushed myself, I knew that's where that's what would pay off for the results in the tournament. So um, I think these days too much training is, is done or it's more catch-up that if you, you miss again. I always think I always enjoy the first tournament back after the summer because I think it's a great example to see who really worked hard in the summer and yeah. who took it. And... Um, that that was always and even today I still pay attention to the first tournaments just to see that and um, that summer period and that block of training is so important and, um, and and that was something that I really yeah really gave everything to it because I knew if I if I did that and, and I got myself set up it really would set me up for the season to do well um, so um, I think that was sort of the, the quote there is sort of what I meant yeah um, now Going, looking back at your career, I mean, there, there's so the, the your resume of uh, accomplishments uh, speaks for itself. It's long, it's impressive. Um, now, of all of your accomplishments, is it even possible to pick uh, one that sticks out in your mind as uh, kind of the most special? Because they're all sort of equally impressive. Which one would you say though might be the most uh, meaningful to you? Yeah, it's, it's very difficult to pick one. Um, Again, they all had probably inside. Again, I think in some ways, like maybe again, I think the best in some ways, the one that I'm still thinking about mostly is my first British Open. Um, yeah, yeah, because 
again, once you get your name on that trophy, it's there forever. And yeah. no one no one can take that away from you. There's such um, a history with that event, isn't it? It's sort of like Wimbledon, isn't it? Exactly. Looking at that trophy and seeing all the names of everyone else uh, on that trophy and, and see your name there as well, I think is, is something that I, I still remember. Um, and obviously, yeah, obviously the, the world opens. Uh, obviously, again, we always did my year, Sean, and we planned it out that I wanted to try to win the British and the Worlds in the same year. And they were the two tournaments I tried to peak for. And obviously I was trying to win all the other tournaments as well, but there was definitely periods where I was training through tournaments or not resting up um, with the goal that I would peak uh, for those sort of two major tournaments. And um, so they all, all the both World Opens um, meant, meant things to me, all my four British Opens as well. So it's very, very difficult to pick one over the other, but probably still my first British Open just for the fact that I sort of, that was my claim that, again, I, I've done it. I, my name's on the trophy. Um, it's going to be there forever. So um, I still think probably that's, that's the, the one that still uh, I remember the most. Well, as a fan of, uh, of squash and, and, and in particular uh, of your generation of, of squash, your battles with, uh, with all of your uh, contemporaries were, were just amazing. But uh, the ones that stand out, and you know where I'm going with this, uh, with Jonathan Power, uh, still live. They still live on, uh, on YouTube to this day. Uh, people mm -hmm. are still watching them. And uh, what was it about your matches with, uh, with Jonathan that made them almost uh, every time so, so special? Yeah, I don't know. I think it was just maybe our, our different personalities, our, our different styles of games. Um, but I think we both uh, just, just, lo just love the competitive side of it. And yeah. I think, obviously, it's one of those things that after the first couple, every time we walked on, we knew, okay, we, this could be another battle. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, um, again, it, it was very tricky. Obviously, Jonathan, at the moment, when I was making that breakthrough, obviously, him and Peter were sort of by far the best two players in the world. And everyone else was sort of grouped together, I felt. Um, um, guys, obviously, was John White was sort of moving up. Paul Johnson, Martin Heath, um, obviously, Barada was around in those days as well. And, and but they were definitely the two that were sort of that next level. And then it was sort of like me and John moved up very closely together. And then I saw John play a couple of battles with Jonathan, and you really had to go, yeah, it had to go toe to toe with him. He had such a, a, a physical and mental sort of um, advantage over everyone and confidence that if you didn't sort of stand up to him and didn't go toe-to-toe -to -toe with him, um, he just really dominated you and, and blew you away um, before you even sort of got into the match. So um, I think that first breakthrough the year before I won my British uh, in 99 or 2000, I, I beat him at the British in the quarterfinals and that was my first victory over him. And um, that was the start of it, I think. And that was finally gave me the belief that, I, yeah, I can can match it with him and I can, I can beat him as well. Um, yeah. So, and then obviously I think it just grew from over that, that every time, yeah, we, I think we, 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 thing is we, we are pretty good friends and, and off yeah. the court we were, we had a good friendship and, and these days now we, we play these legends events around the world and, 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 and yeah, they're great to watch. I, I watched uh, the grasshopper cup uh, yeah. and uh, I mean, Looking at, yep. I was telling uh, the, the the event organizer Steve uh, Book Bookley there. Yep. He, we were just saying you look like you could hit the tour 
<laughs> you look well, I don't know about that. I wasn't, wasn't feeling like that. Again, looks can be deceiving. But uh, Meanwhile, uh, Simon Park looked, looked good for about the first part <laughs> of every game. So, um, but, uh, but yeah, again, it's just even like it's changed now. Obviously, again, I have many battles with Peter Nicole as well, and, and that was a different type of battle with Peter. And, and now it's, it's again, the, the, the legends is funny. When you look back now, we, we all – go to Bermuda uh, over the last years. It's a great event there. We take our families. Uh, last time, Jonathan had his daughter. I had my daughters. Um, they were all playing together. We were even doing touristy things together around Bermuda, which people would never think after <laughs> after all our battles. But uh, again, it's, it's something that I think we both look back. And, and again, there was moments when he had the edge on me and, and then I would beat him a couple. Um, um, so I think we both just... In, just love the battle of playing against each other. And, and uh, so, yeah, it's still a lot of people still ask us about that. And uh, it is, again, I look back and I, I, it makes, brings a smile to my face because I, I did enjoy it. Um, maybe not in the moment on the court a lot of times, but um, after the match or, or looking back at it, I, I think we both uh, enjoyed it. So. Well, that's what, I mean, uh, we I talked a little bit uh, about this with uh, with Sean a few weeks ago, and uh, it was the 2001 Super Series match uh, we talked about. And Sean, uh, to my surprise, said that uh, after the match, you both had nothing but great things uh, to say about e- to each other about the match and, and how much you loved uh, being on court, it, uh, the way the match played out, it was uh, just absolutely the, the the way that you would have wanted it to play out. Yeah, I think again, we just just one of those matches that was probably the the one that most people remember. But we had obviously a lot of other battles. But again, I think we just enjoyed it at the end of the day. And and again, the crowd when the crowd reacts and and the people talk about it, and it does uh, again. It was just a. Again, not in the moment, but definitely afterwards, we could both look and, and appreciate what we did on there. And uh, again, I'm still happy if it, again, people still talk about it and, and enjoy it. It's, it. I think it is a good thing for the game. So, Yeah. Now, uh, there were many, uh, many in the squash world who, who obviously play, paid tribute to you uh, uh, when you retired um, in, in 2011. One of them was, uh, was John White, and he referred to you on, on my podcast as his bogey player. Um, what was your relationship uh, with John like over the years? John, again, he, he, we were very good friends in some ways. He was like a big brother to me. He also worked a little bit with Joe Shaw as well. So we had that connection. Um, and yeah, I was lucky. I followed John around a lot. Uh, we, we traveled together. We trained a lot together. Um, and, and yeah, we, um, again, I, I love watching him play. I learn a lot from him oh, yeah. as well. Um, you don't play um, any of those corkscrew shots though. In not, the big not as many as he does, uh, <laughs> or skid boasts or, but yeah. I, I admired his game. Um, oh, his yeah. physical, his physical side was amazing. He frustrated the hell out of us because he never, he maybe didn't train as much as some of the other guys. Uh, and, and, he, he had his own unique way of doing things and we always joked that he never really warmed up and didn't warm down, but he would go on and, and he's, got, he's definitely got some of the best matches of all time. And, oh, yeah. Um, for me, for me I, I had a good record against him, but I think I was fortunate enough that I got to practice with him a lot in, in 
and training um, and it sort of gave me that edge that I knew what was coming. So I was used to the corkscrews, I was used to the pace, uh, the skid bows, um, the unique type of game that he had. So for me, it, it, was, a, it was a major advantage um, that I had that, that probably that game that did frustrate him a little bit that I knew I probably had that little bit of that physical edge on him, but um, we did have some good matches. Um, and, he made uh, reference to uh, match ball in, at the World Open. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure that one still hurts him a lot. Yeah. Um, again, it was a that great was in match. The fourth, right? That was in the fourth. So yeah. uh, he had a great tournament that he was really he beat everyone very easy. Beat Peter Nicol three love in the semis, and and he was really and and I knew it was a tough a tough. Uh, the court suited him as well. Uh, he was really on fire that week and it took two and a half games to sort of break that game down. And finally I, I won the third and I started to wear him down, but he pushed and, and we went point for point in the fourth and he typical John, no fear. He, we got the 14 all and he called one. Um, and I, I hit a tight shot to the back and he, he went for it and it hit the 10. So, right. um, and I think, yeah, that was again, a big moment for him and, and, uh, he definitely deserved to win that match as much as I did. And um, and uh, I went on with it. I sort of had the edge in the fifth game. I sort of had that that little three, four-point buffer all the way. So, But, yeah, that was a great match. Uh, just the setting because we were sort of – I was based in Antwerp. John was in Holland. We had a lot of friends there. We played and, and lived there. So it really was sort of like a home match for us in some ways. And, um, yeah, and I remember before we went on, it was still joking around – a few minutes out the back before we went on and, and yeah, we had had some beers afterwards. And uh, so yeah, it was that type of relationship with John. And, and uh, again, I, I did, I, I learned a lot from his game. He, he brought so much besides his humor and, and his sort of array of shots. He really did have a great, uh, a great game. And, and, and I was fortunate to learn a lot from him um, over the years of traveling with him and, and, and practicing with him. Yeah, he, he has a great sense of humor. Uh, he he actually uh, we were talking about his uh, the the Drexel Dragons a little bit, and uh, he you know just talking about how the the game uh, how the the team didn't exist until recently, and uh, and uh, he uh, he had asked me if I had any eligibility left. So at the age of fifty, <laughs> yeah, he's, yeah. Uh, he's done a great job at Drexel. Uh, they're doing big things down there, and uh, he's an ever. Obviously, they're building a lot of a brand new center, and um, it's funny now that obviously we play each other. Cornell plays Drexel, and it's funny again that we're coaching against each other in some ways, um, and that's fun. We have fun as well doing that. So, well, that uh, brings me. I wanted to ask you uh, about about your your big Reds at Cornell. Uh, first of all, uh, how how have you? Uh, how are things going in terms of uh, that head coaching uh, job for you? I mean, it must be a little bit of an adjustment. And then, of course, you have recruiting and all this stuff uh, that you need to get your head around. Uh, how are things going uh, there for you, David? Yeah, it's been it's been about a year and a half now. So I'm just sort of coming to the end of my second season, um, and yeah, we're really really enjoying it. It was a big transition moving from Florida up to New York, up to Ithaca, New York. Um, totally different climate. Obviously, very cold winters, uh, beautiful beautiful summers. Um, and again, it was it was a difficult decision. Again, looking at all the different uh, options, uh, I was had my training base and. <laughs> 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 
uh, sorry, I had had my training, built up my academy and my training base in, in Orlando and, and was working with a couple of families down there and and all the pro players like Miguel and Coppinger and, and yeah. a lot of the players used to come and base there. Um, but again, um, it was it, squash was pretty small down there. I had I only had a couple of courts to work with and I was toying with the idea a little bit to maybe do what Sean was doing, building a new a new training facility. Um, but it's obviously a different scene down there um, compared to what obviously squash is up in the northeast. So um, it was hard to make a decision. But again, I always thought um, if the right opportunity came up in in college squash, seeing how big it is growing, uh, seeing obviously what John's done and, and guys like John White and Martin Heath and Mike Way at Harvard. Um, when so when I heard about the Cornell job, I, I really thought this could be a great opportunity for me and. Um, I sort of jumped at it. So, um, yeah, so, so far it's been really good. Um, yeah, we transitioned up here well with my wife, wife Melinda and, and, and Kayla and Miley, uh, new schools, which is always a bit of a worry, but it all went pretty smoothly. And um, so, yeah, so I'm still, I still feel, feel like it's a learning process for me. Um, a lot, a lot of moving parts in the college school. Wash, uh, running a program. Um, I've got, like John, I've got both men and women's programs. Um, I've got a great assistant coach, Scott Den, another Aussie uh, helping me, and he's, he's been a great help since he's come on board. And um, it, it's really a fun time, I think, to be involved. Obviously, squash in the US is one of the only, only countries where it's really building, and um, college squash is going from strength to strength. So um, it is a fun part to be around now. And um, it's gonna, gonna take some time. Obviously, I've sort of, um, it's, I've sort of taken on a team, and I've just really just got through my first proper year of recruiting. Um, yeah. So it, it takes, it's gonna take some time to build a team, and and uh, but I'm really looking forward to the challenge. And uh, um, it is fun to be around the teams; they are good fun. Um, and on top of that, I've still. It's again. That's also what appealed. I can still continue to do some of my coaching with pro players, um, and I'm running camps up here in the summer. So I really have use of the uh, the Cornell facility, and obviously their athletic facility is really great. Um, so I'm in a good part of the world, and uh, yeah. So it's it's been really exciting, and uh, we had a bit up and down season, I would say, this year. And and we're again. It's I feel like I've been really putting a lot of time and work into learning the recruiting um, and, and all the different aspects of fundraising, working with the alumni. Um, so it's been a fun learning experience, not only just the, um, obviously the, the easy part in some ways is actually the on-court squash training. It's all the other factors that come with running a program. Um, and that's been fun, a little bit of a new adventure for me to learn all these different sides of, uh, of, of running this program. So um, I see this as a long-term um, opportunity for me. And, and um, so, yeah, so we really been, it's been fun since we moved up here. Yeah. I guess uh, uh, with your name attached to, to the Cornell brand now uh, and with other guys like uh, John White and, and Martin and Mike, like you said, but having, having your name um, from there might definitely, will definitely uh, reflect in how well you're uh, your, your, uh, the recruiting process. Uh, have you noticed that uh, recently, having your name and I guess the fact that you're also uh, coaching top pros uh, at that same facility, that might uh, that might reflect in a good recruiting class. 
Yeah, we're, we're seeing some early signs of that. So um, it's definitely going to still take some time. And uh, again, obviously, it's a big decision. And, and we've been doing lots of, lots of kids have been coming to visit recently. This is the time of year where kids are doing visits. And we're already looking for the 2019 class. Um, so I, I think long term, definitely, um, kids will consider Cornell now um, because of the chance to possibly work with me. Um, I think there is a changing trend in, in the college squash where previously kids used the squash to sort of just get into college and then um, wouldn't continue. But now I think uh, it's in a good position, obviously seeing what um, Ali Farag, what Amanda Sobey have done, Todd Harity, these type of people where they've gone to college now and then continue to play on the pro tour. That's what we're obviously seeing a lot more of, that kids that do want to come to college, get a degree, but also want to continue to play PSA and, and then continue on with their career. And um, So I think because of that factor, I think, yeah, hopefully I, I will get a lot of attention and kids wanting to come to Cornell now to to work with me. Um, like I said, I still had a lot of the pro players coming. Also, I started to do some work with Shabaggy and, and I still work with Holly Norton and a few of the other pros. So having them here training around the team a little bit, um, is a good motivation for them. Um, I still remember. I still remember the the first day Shabaggy walked in. I didn't tell the team. I sort of kept it a bit <laughs> of a surprise, and um, he walked in, and, and they all were in shock that someone like Shabaggy was was here training. So um, he's been a great, great. Obviously, been great working with him as well. But uh, yeah. yeah, it's a fun side of the of the game, definitely. Um, the recruiting side, obviously looking at kids, uh, there's lots of different factors to weigh up. And again, I'm still very inexperienced to a lot of the other uh, coaches. Uh, again, some of these, some of the coaches like Dave Talbot and, and uh, these type of coaches have been around for a long some time. Some of the legends of the, uh, of the course, NCAA uh, squash. Uh, so there's lots of coaches. Uh, on top, again, I missed a few like Terry Linku is at MIT, Gavin Jones is at FNM. So there's, okay. there's lots of Hansi Weins is at, uh, at Dartmouth. So there's lots and lots of – it's actually a fun – when we do get together at individuals or nationals, it is, it is a fun group um, of, of people. So uh, – so, yeah, I think it is a great time to be part of that. And uh, this is a big next challenge for me is to obviously uh, I've work with some great pro players and I will continue that. But now my personal challenge is to try to build a team over the next sort of four or five years that might compete and might challenge for the, uh, for the title. Yeah. And uh, what, are, what are your goals for the 2018-19 for the season? Yep, we um, so the women last year, my women's team finished in the top eight, so we finished eighth. So that was a good finish. Yeah. Um, um, the big the big factor I have is the hard part I have in some ways is that I don't have as many um, Cornell's harder to get international kids in, so I don't have any scholarships or financial aid for international kids. So um, it is a little bit more challenging compared to some other schools. Um, but, uh, yeah, I definitely have high hopes. The strength of the men's teams um, is very, very strong at the moment. Yeah. There's a lot, of, a lot of Egyptian kids, juniors over here, a lot of kids from India, Asia. Um, so the depth is very strong. So it's going to take some time. But I did. I, I feel like I've got a good, strong recruiting 
um, boys team this year. So I feel we can challenge and, and try to compete with some of the teams in the top of the B division and, and bottom of the A division. And it's going to take some time. It's not just one class. I've got to really recruit well for like three or four years in a row to really build a team that would challenge for like a top four position. Yeah. So I hope, I hope my girls team can continue. The women's team can continue to be around the top eight, top 10. And I would hope that my men's team will finish, uh, finish around the same as well. So. Yeah, I guess I guess uh, during your recruiting, you probably want to, given given the uh, the circumstances there, really focus uh, a lot on on the top American players and, and uh, focusing on that. Uh, yeah, that's that's a good thing because uh, the strength of the American. Sorry, the strength of the American. The strength of the American game. What kind, what's your dog's name, by the way, David? Jack. Sorry. Jack. Hi, Jack. <laughs> he, uh, he wants to go out, I think, but he's good. Um, the uh, the strength of the American juniors is very strong at the moment. Um, obviously, again, there's so many international coaches over here. Uh, there's lots of opportunities at all levels coaching in America, whether it's at a college or a high school uh, with private families or, or in a traditional type of private club, um, country club. And, um, and that's been happening over the last 10, 15 years. And now, obviously, it's trickled into that. Um, US is finishing very high at the World Juniors and the level of the Juniors is very strong. So um, for us at the moment, we are focusing a lot on the on the American kids because the, the level is very good and they are competing really well internationally now. So, Yeah. Uh, now, Dave, uh, um, you and Jack, I, I won't keep you guys much longer, but I just wanted to ask you about your your uh, summer camps uh, at Cornell coming up. You have uh, you have some good stuff. Uh, is there anything uh, you want to uh, tell our listeners, uh, for example, who the who the camps are geared towards? Yeah, the camps are really opened up to any any level. Um, age wise, it's from 10, 10 years up, ten years and up. Um, I just started with the camps last year. I've done, I've done a lot of camps over the years, all different places, and, and some with Sean, and I used to take groups of kids over to the Pioneer and the Dutch Junior, and okay. I ran small camps in Orlando. But now, being at Cornell, um, it's a perfect example for kids to come and experience Cornell. Um, we have a lot of kids coming doing visits and overnight visits, but uh, to come for a whole week, and, and it's a great time of year. It's, it's, it's beautiful here in the summertime. Um, and to spend uh, five, six days on campus, experience staying in the dorms, uh, eating in the food in the food halls, uh, playing on the courts, um, it gives myself and my other coaches a great time, great opportunity to sort of see kids work on a day-to-day basis and interact with other kids and see where the kids fit in. But um, my camps are open open up to anyone. I don't don't put a level or restriction on it. Um, I only do small numbers. I don't do big, big all, numbers. all ages as well. Pretty much all ages from, I think from 10 years, 10 years and up is the limit um, because of the, the kids are staying in the dorms, but um, I don't put a, I don't, uh, don't say they have to be a particular level. We'll make it work with, with any level from, from really from a beginner up to an elite player because we're only doing small numbers. um, We only ever have two, two players on a court. Um, I can always keep the numbers small. uh, even though we could do bigger numbers, I'm, I'm, I really like the small, intimate type of camp where I feel like I get on court at multiple times with every kid in the week and I, I can spend some one-on-one time and 
um, I, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of that. So I really I cut my cut my camps off, camps off at a particular number, and then uh, try to make it as personal as we can, and, and, and make it a, a great time for them. So they're going really well. Um, so we're excited, and uh, yeah. are there uh, are there still spots uh, available? There's there's a few spots we've done pretty well so far. So like I think four of the five weeks are sold out, but the the last week uh, is still available. So, um, okay. so definitely, yeah. Obviously, we again welcome anyone that wants to come and have a great time and, and experience experience Cornell in the summertime. So um, so they just have to go to the Cornell Squash website to sign up for those. Yeah, they just go. It's just they can go straight to the Cornell Camps page. So um, Cornell obviously. Cornell runs a lot of camps for yeah. different sports and we're, we're in there and it's all run through Cornell itself. So, um, so yeah, so it's a, it's a good experience for me and, uh, but yeah, it's a busy summer. Obviously it's, it's a great time, um, to be involved. Um, I'm probably going to try to make a trip over to the world juniors as well. Um, which is in Chennai this, this coming July. So there's a lot of top juniors. Uh, so I'm going to try to plan a trip over there for three or four days to watch, uh, and uh, see, there's lots of good, uh, lots of good Indian and, and international players at the moment. So I'm interested to see some of them for the future as well. So, um, and then obviously, yeah, spend some time with the family and, and, and relax as well. So it's a good, it's a busy summer, but yeah, it will be fun. So. Uh, that's great, David. Well, uh, I just want to say thanks so much for, for coming on to the podcast. And most importantly, uh, again, congratulations on the, uh, a brilliant Hall of Fame uh, squash career. You gave uh, you gave me and many uh, uh, all the, all the squash fans uh, so much joy uh, over the years watching you play. No, no, I, I appreciate that. And uh, again, it's uh, again I'm very very fortunate and, and very proud of my career. And, and again, uh, it means a lot to me. And uh, even again, even this last winning the gold with Zach was a, was a major part of it. That was just up there. As, as as good as all the other victories and titles of that that I've won, so um, it was great to be playing with him and, and and be part of it. And he was a great, we really I think partnered very well, and we played off each other all week. And uh, it was great. We snuck through the draw as number fifth or sixth seeds, and uh, again we stepped it up when we needed to. And so yeah, to, to do that was a great. You know, couldn't ask for a better finish. So, yeah, um, and there's a lot. There are a lot of older doubles tennis players. So don't uh, don't uh, dismiss uh, another run. In 2022, I don't know about I don't know about that, but uh, <laughs> maybe maybe the next goal is hardball doubles. So always, always said at some point I might get into. Someone's got to challenge that Mudge guy. Yeah, I know. So uh, he uh, he's been dominating for a long time, but it's going to take a little bit of practice. Uh, Zach is very good at it as well. Actually, he plays a lot of hardball doubles. So um, next season um, in September, I might look at maybe seeing about playing some uh, playing some tournaments. Or I'm always always talked with John, John White, so maybe we should partner up in that. That would be, that'd be awesome. Good. That might be the next, uh, that might be the next goal. We'll see. All right. Well, David, thank you so much for coming on uh, today. It was great chatting with you. And uh, again, all the best to you uh, with Cornell, with the, uh, with the big red and uh, all the best to you and your family as well. Great. Thank you for your time. Cheers. Thank you. Bye-bye. 
Well, thank you very much once again, David. That was uh, that was a lot of fun, and uh, apologies for keeping you and Jack uh, perhaps a little bit longer than uh, Jack would have liked. But he seemed to be uh, enjoying himself for the most part. I know uh, I know I did, and hopefully the listeners uh, definitely enjoyed it as well. A great podcast, and uh, all the best to uh, the Big Red in the 2018-2019 campaign. Um, And I'd just like to give a shout-out to all the the winners of the Canadian uh, Nationals this year. On the uh, women's side, Danielle Letourneau winning uh, on her fourth time of asking uh, in in front of her home crowd. Congratulations, Danielle. And also winning in front of uh, the home crowd, uh, Andrew Schnell, a big win there over Nick Sackvey. Uh, congratulations to you, Andrew, and also the age group categories. And I want to give a shout out to uh, a fellow Nova Scotian uh, who won in the over 40s this year. Matthew Bishop continues uh, uh, to impress and make history uh, for Nova Scotians. Um, getting to the finals of these national events was almost unheard of for uh, homegrown talent, but uh, he's been doing it lately, and he did it again this year. Congratulations, Matthew. Well done. Well played. And um, anyways, everyone, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Good luck with your squash uh, this week. We've got another one dropping soon. Um, Gary Nisbet from uh, SquashSkills.com. He's got some, uh, some great insight in terms of our training, so that will be dropping in a few days. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and have a great day. Bye-bye now.